Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just is he. And from verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him to no foreign foreign God was with him. He made him rise on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinting crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock, and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock their saviour. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods uh, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. And uh, verse, from verse 36, the Lord will vindicate his people and relent, and relent concerning his servants, who he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, now, where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and pay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, ye nations, with his people, for he he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. When Moses finished reciting all the words to all Israel, he said to them, 
Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They, they, are, they are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Thank you, Annie. What an encouraging passage. When Nick asked me to come and preach, I was, uh, I was excited. And then he said, oh, it's Deuteronomy. And, you know, Nick loves Deuteronomy, if you haven't picked up on that. Um, I don't mind Deuteronomy, but I do, I do find it a little intimidating because of passages like this and passages that I know you've been looking at and studying. And um, it's one of those books of the Bible that, if you know, I think it's one of the places where people start their Bible in a year reading plan and they get to Deuteronomy and they go, oh, maybe next year. But as I've worked through it and as I sort of wrestled with this song that, that the Lord has given Moses and, and Moses kind of gives it to Joshua but to all the people as well, I've sort of started to see the beauty in this book and sort of see the beauty in, in these words and these words that have been read to us this morning. When I was a little boy, I had this habit of running away. <laughs> I was a little bit naughty. Well, I was, a, I was fairly naughty. But what I tended to do is when I got in trouble, um, I would take off. And we lived in Tasmania in sort of the, the countryside. So I would take off and I would jump jump one of the boundary fences and take off into the paddocks. And, um, you know, being Tasmania, it was often quite cold and wet and windy and I was, so I would leave the warmth and the security and the safety of the home and run away. And um, what I, uh, you know, what I remember about, I just, I just remembered this this morning, what I remember about those episodes of running away is that inevitably, always, my dad would come and find me as if he didn't know where I was. He wouldn't run. He wouldn't rush. He wouldn't sort of sprint after me and yell, stop, wait. He would just kind of wander out of the house, go through the gate. I'd climb the fence, but he would, you know, patiently go through the gate. And after 10 or 20 minutes, after I'd probably run around and blown off steam, he would come and he would grab me and he'd pick me up, sort of, Lift, you know, how you hold a baby or a kid up, up like this and just say, it's all right, mate. Pat my back and walk me back home into the bath, into my warm flannelette pyjamas and onto the couch. And then he would ask something along the lines of, why'd you run away? Uh, you know, I didn't know. We never know really, do we? But I was home now and I was safe. And I was reminded of that story because that's the kind of father that God is. And that's what this passage is saying. That we have a home with God. We're safe with God. We wander off. We run away. And yet he always patiently returns people to him. He seeks them out. He finds them and he brings them home. And Deuteronomy 32, it's a, it's a song. And it tells the story of God and his people. It tells the story of a faithful God, of the rock, who doesn't move, who's always the same. And of a people who abandon the rock, of a people who leave, 
who choose their own way. And it tells the story of how God always returns them. So this song is a, it, it takes the form of, of a, it's called a rib, which is a, it's like a lawsuit, essentially. It's this reading of charges from God against his people. And it ends with a judgment. It was this song that kind of wraps up all of the teaching of Deuteronomy that's meant to be passed down through the generations from one leader to the next, from one people to the next, through generations. And Moses says to Joshua and to all of the people, take heart, take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. They are your life. So these words that God has given the people, they're the very life that they need to live. And so from this passage today, from this song, I want to kind of draw out three kind of key ideas. I'm a Baptist, so I do three-point sermons for the comfort of everyone in the room. And the three things I want to look at are the rock, the rebellion, and the response. The song begins with rich descriptions of who God is, of his character, of his intent towards his people. And I think sometimes in, when we're reading the Bible, and especially those of us that have been in church for some time, we read about God. We read these descriptions of who he is. And I think sometimes we can just let the words kind of fly over our head without really stopping and letting them sink in. I know I probably don't often enough really think about and dwell on the character of our God. But, but we see some real beauty in this, in this passage, he's described as the rock five different times. In the context of 2000-ish BC in the Middle East, with warring nations all around them, God says, I am the rock, I'm stable. In a land of instability, where everything else can shift, where everything else can fail, I don't. I stand the test of time. It's a word for them then, but it's also a word for us today. In an unstable world, in uncertain times, God is the rock. He doesn't change. And later on, we know Jesus' words about the two houses that you can build, the house on the sand that will not survive, or the house built on the rock that will stand the test of time. And so God calls his people, build your life on me, on the rock, because I don't fail. It says he is the rock, his works are perfect, all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. So he's the rock, he's also perfect, which means he's complete. He's without defect, he lacks nothing. He's just. He is just and we can look at injustice and we, can, and we can maybe sometimes even feel overwhelmed at the lack of justice in our world. But God is just. And in the grand scheme of, of things, in the grand scheme of the world, of, in time, the injustices that we see from God's perspective, they're temporary. Because he is going to come back and he is going to judge. And when he judges, that will bring justice 
to the places where we see injustice. And I think God's judgment is best understood when we look at the context of injustice done towards us and others because it takes away the need for revenge. The injustice of the world can be overwhelming, but God's righteous judgment will fix it. It brings justice. He's also faithful. He does no wrong. And the song talks about that. He's demonstrated his faithfulness again and again to the patriarchs, to God's people in the exodus. While they've been in the wilderness, he has maintained his faithfulness, even if they haven't maintained faithfulness to him. And he's described as upright, which means he's moral, he's good. Sometimes we hear these things. We hear that God is perfect. We hear that he's just. We hear he's faithful. We hear he's moral and we go, yep, great. But what does that really mean? Do you let that sink in that he is those things in all of their fullness, that he's perfect? That should encourage us. Should fill us with hope because we're not, but he is. We were talking at, at one of our young adults groups recently about, about, about the nature of God and about who he is and how he creates. And we were sort of looking out the window and looking at, at trees. So I'll encourage you to do that now. Have a look outside. Look at that tree. It's, there's some nice ones out there, actually. But, you know, the Bible says that God speaks things into being, that by his word, things are created. And so what I said to the young adults, and I'll say it to you, is does anyone know any words that could make a tree for us? Nope. Or a rock. Or maybe something small, maybe a, a pebble. Or something big, like a river or a mountain or an ocean. That's what God does. He creates by his word. And when we start to think about the bigness of that and the smallness of us, and then we realize that that God who could speak and pop up a nice big gum tree also loves us and is close and calls himself our friend. I don't know about you, it starts to make the hairs on the edge of my neck stand up because I go, ooh, that's a, that's a powerful being and yet he loves me. So don't let these descriptions of God just go over your head. Let them settle a bit. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So he's calling himself the rock. And then it goes on from verse 9 and it says, you know, what does this faithful rock do for his people? The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the fields. And he nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag. God finds his people. He shields his people. He cares for his people. He guards his people. He catches his people. He carries his people, he leads and feeds and nourishes his people. This is what this rock does. And so Israel, this nation, they know that. 
they know this God. They know that in him there's safety, there's protection. They have all they need. There's feeding, there's nourishing. And yet, they rebel. And the story, it's, it, this song, it, it's prophetic because it speaks of things that have happened and things that are happening and things that are yet to happen. And it, it, sort, of, it, almost, it, it sort of prophesies the whole story of God and his people that's still yet to come. And so in verse 15, it starts to talk of this rebellion. It says Jeshurun, which is just a, it's, it sort of means the, the chosen, the anointed one. It's talking about Israel. Grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their saviour. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. Abandoning the rock is one thing, but to deny their father, their maker, the one who finds, who shields, who cares, who protects, who feeds, who nourishes, that's more serious. It's a serious betrayal. It's a significant sin. To walk away from a good employer is one thing, but to walk away from a good father is another matter entirely. Many translations have, instead of saying false gods here, it actually says demons. So in their rebellion, they follow the pattern and worship those who rebelled first. Those who said, worship me instead of God. They follow that path. And what did they turn to? They turn from God. Well, they turn to pleasure. They grow fat and sleek. It's this picture of filling themselves with everything other than God. And in our moments of rebellion, I wonder if we fall for the same thing, for pleasure, for hedonism, whether it's food that we indulge a little bit too much in, maybe a little bit too much wine, a little bit too much selfishness and rejection of the poor, and a little too much self-dependence and self-sufficiency. It's easy, I think, for us to look back at the Israelites, and I know I do this often, and, and go, oh, what were they thinking, you know? They had God with them. They were God's chosen people, and they turned their back on him again and again and again. You read through the Old Testament, it just feels like a repeating record. And we look back at them and we go, silly people. Because, of course, we're nothing like that. We don't forget our God. We don't forget the rock. Of course we do. They knew God. They knew his goodness and they abandoned him for pleasure. And we find ourselves in the same place sometimes every single day. We have what I like to call moments of atheism or maybe it's me-theism or something like that. Because our world tells us it's about us. It's about our pleasure, our comfort, our convenience and we believe that story because it's maybe a little bit easier. The cost for Israel doing that was rejection. God hands them over. 
to their pleasures, to their foreign gods. But he's also faithful and he's also patient and he doesn't leave them there because there's a response. And I've skipped out a lot of, a lot of verses which talk a lot about um, what God does and, and the judgment of the nations and then go through that, read that yourself if you'd like to. I will kind of touch on that as we go. But skipping all the way ahead to verse 36, this is what God does to his people that have rebelled and rejected him. It says, The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone, when they've been humbled, when there's no one left, slave or free, he will say, Now where are their gods? The rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings, let them rise up. Let them give you shelter. The other things that the Israelites worshipped couldn't save them. And it's the same for us. The, the things that we worship, the things that we abandon God for, they can't save us. They can numb us. They can distract us. They can maybe give us a temporary sense of relief or satisfaction or something, but they don't give us life. And God says to the Israelites, let those gods rise up. Let them shelter you. Let them be your rock. And what can they say to that? The things that we lean on other than God don't protect us from the storm. But God says, see now that I myself am he. There are no gods beside me. So he says, where are your gods? He says, I am your God. I've always been your God. Even though you turned away to every other thing, I'm the rock. I don't move. I'm still here. I'm still faithful. I'm still your God. And he says that to us. When we walk away, he says, I'm still here. I'm your God. Come back. He says, I put to death and I bring to life. I've wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I'll take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. There's this powerful picture of God, the warrior, who will make atonement for his people. God, the king, who will come with power, and might to take vengeance. He will repay and take vengeance on his adversary, on the adversary. This line in verse 43, if we could get that on the screen, struck me. It says, Rejoice, you nations, with his people. Now, sometimes I think when we read... Old Testament stories of God's judgment and we, we kind of we read things like this. This is a full-on thing to read about God. He'll avenge blood. 
He'll take vengeance. But it says, rejoice, you nations. And I was struck by that because why would other nations rejoice at God's judgment unless in some way it's good for them? And you have to remember this is a prophetic song. It's talking about something that is to come. It's actually talking about someone who is to come. And when Jesus comes, the nations do rejoice because even though all nations haven't been faithful to God, he's always had a plan for all of them. And it's not just for Israel. It's not just for this chosen people in the Old Testament that that God will restore, that God will redeem. It's actually for all nations. And when Christ comes to take vengeance, when he makes atonement for his land and his people, that's speaking of the cross, where Christ will make atonement for all lands and all people so that everyone might know God. And so God, this faithful rock, who is the God of Israel, is also saying, I'm the God of all nations. I'm the God of all people. And unless we have any Messianic Jews in the room, that should give us something to be grateful for because we are the other nations. We are the people that were outside of God's chosen nation. We are the people for whom Christ came and made atonement even though we've served other gods and worshipped other things. That Jesus came for us. So God is not just the rock of Israel. He's the rock of all people. If they choose to call on the name of the Lord, then they will be saved. So while this song speaks about the people of Israel, about their relationship with God in a, in a certain time, in a certain context, for a certain place, it also speaks prophetically about the people of God for all time, that God is good. He is the rock. We rebel but he remains faithful. And so today I pray that we would return to the rock. That we would return to the rock who is faithful, who is stable, who is good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your kindness to your people, to us. We thank you that you always had a plan to include us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made atonement for all of our sins, for all of our rebellion, that you took it upon yourself on the cross. You said it is finished. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're coming back. And we look forward to your return when things will be made new, where you will make things right and you will bring your justice to the world. Lord God, thank you that you've included us in your plan.
Lord, help us to live lives that show a good picture of you as the rock, as the one who guards and protects and cares. Lord, let us be people that do that for others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.